welcome to the sixth episode of Conversation of Change. We believe that everyone can become a change maker and through Conversation of Change, we hope to inspire you to make a difference to the community, no matter how big or small it is. Joining us in this conversation today is Chris, a professor and author all the way from New York. Scheduling a time with him was definitely not easy. The 12 hours time difference was real. So without further ado, let's get Chris to share more about himself. So hi Chris. Thank you for taking time off your busy schedule to join us in this conversation. We would like to introduce ourselves to our viewers. Sure. Uh, great. Well, thanks so much, Shaimin, for your, uh, your introduction and, and looking forward to talking more. Uh, so I'm a professor at Cornell. I teach in the business school uh, and I teach and research on two different areas. So one is how businesses can be more sustainable and resilient. So social businesses like B Corps, which I'm sure we'll talk about more, uh, can be more socially and environmentally responsible. I teach a class on social entrepreneurship at Cornell. Uh, a second line of work is actually related to, to sustainability and social responsibility in China and entrepreneurship in China more generally. Uh, until COVID, I spent about two months a year uh, in China working with companies there. And I teach a class at Cornell on doing business in China and lead student groups of China every year. Uh, yeah, so, so another unique part of my background is that I had some business, business experience. So before getting a PhD in sociology, I uh, worked in financial services for six years, uh, the last job at JP Morgan. Uh, and before Cornell, I taught at Harvard for 10 years. Wow, that's a lot of qualifications you have on hand. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I heard that you have recently published a book called Better Business. So can you give us a preview of what the book is all about? Yeah, sure. So uh, the, the full title is called Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. Uh, and the focus of the book is really how business needs to, to reorient itself from a, a system that focuses very much on shareholders. So, you know, paying dividends to shareholders, uh, you know, reducing expenses as much as possible in order to, you know, sort of just raise the profits of the company. Uh, to one that is much more stakeholder oriented. So, you know, stakeholders are, you know, the other important constituents like employees, communities, suppliers, governments, et cetera, that are, that are, have, are an important input and partner in many ways for businesses. And there's been increasing support, you know, from the World Economic Forum to large companies in the United States to all over the world, really, the business needs to focus much more on stakeholders. And so what I try to do in the book is describe this B Corporation system uh, that has been developed globally. It started in the US, but really it's a global phenomenon. I know there's B Corps in Singapore, lots in Asia, Europe, uh, South America. Uh, in this B Corp tools, processes model that has been developed, I think is a very helpful way for all companies to be more stakeholder oriented. So, you know, while I really support more companies becoming B Corps, I think because the assessment to become a B Corp is very rigorous, it will be very few number of, of companies that will be B Corps, but all companies can use the tools and processes of B Corps to be better uh, and deliver more socially responsible action to their stakeholders. Yes. 
I see. So when you mentioned the, the word B Corp, does it only mean that companies have to be very stakeholder centric or is there other functions, like other things that the company should pay attention to when they are a B corporation? Yeah, so I think it's, uh, I mean, I think stakeholder centric is a way, one way, one general way to think about it. So to become a B Corp, you know, companies have to undergo something called the B Impact Assessment. And this assesses the company in five different areas. You know, the extent to which they respond to workers, communities, uh, customers, uh, gover governments, and governance. I think, uh, I think that's all, all of them. Uh, and so, you know, it's an assessment, 200 points, they have to get 80, which, you know, for, you know, sort of high-performing people mm -hmm. in Singapore, the United States, the 80 out of 200, 40% sounds low, but <laughs> but actually it's very, very hard, uh, you know, very, very rigorous. And so, so I, I do think because the key areas are really focused around stakeholders, that, that stakeholder management is one way at a general level to think about uh, sort of the power of the B Corp model. I see. So actually adding on to that, we also like to proudly announce that our company Make the Change was also recently certified as a B Corporation. And it actually took several months of like paperwork, interviews and tests before we acquired our certification. But it was all worthwhile to be part of the B Corporation family. Yeah, so jumping back, you mentioned that uh, B Corp is very heavily uh, focused on the stakeholders. May I ask why right. is it so? Like why do you, why is it, why are our stakeholders so important uh, to be like under the B Corp family? Well, I think the idea uh, is to really reorient uh, companies and the economic system to focus on, you know, not just the shareholders. And so when you think about in a company, who the other important actors are, you know, clearly you have the employees, so the people inside the company, customers, sort of the key people that are interacting in commerce with the company, uh, communities where the company lives, the external environment, which, you know, the pollution or the, you know, you know, waste or, or things that are put in the water, which start in the community, but really have global impacts. Things like, you know, and greenhouse gases, you know, have, have global impacts. And so, you know, I think that, I think it's an attempt to assess like the company's impact on the world and how it can be better in meeting its, you know, responsibilities to that world. So that's why, you know, sort of dividing it up into these different stakeholders is useful because it provides like a more measurable way to actually do that. And this is, you know, one of the things that I find very compelling about the model is that, you know, it's very easy for companies to say they're focusing on stakeholders or they're being socially responsible, but unless, you know, they track, measure, and are accountable and transparent on it, you know, I, I'm, I'm not convinced personally. So I think, you know, for the, to be a B Corp, you have to actually, you know, track measure and be accountable on these issues. And so that's why I think it's a real powerful model for change. I see. So other than that, because you mentioned that uh, 
like big corporation, they have to be part. Of, they have to be aware of all the different type of things that they are uh, handling. So, how is it beneficial for this company to be a big corporation? Because I'm pretty sure like there are money in stakes to giving back to their stakeholders as well. So, how would being a big corp be beneficial for these companies? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think that uh, there's it's many ways, and you know. You know, as you mentioned, the title of the book is Better Business. Uh, and the reason that, that I chose that title is because so many of the companies, and I've interviewed, you know, for the book, about 60 B Corps and sort of aside that case studies of them before and after, you know, I've been still doing research on B Corps, you know, probably talked to 100 B Corps, um, you know, people. And now, now I'm maybe 101 talking to, uh, <laughs> uh, talking to you and Pedro. Uh, but so, so throughout it, people have told me that actually going through the B impact assessment, while it's very, very difficult, uh, it actually made them a better business because, you know, it's not just about meeting social and environmental sort of programs or goals, but it's a, a comprehensive management system that you learn because there's like benchmarking information within the assessment, ways to improve different policies, procedures that can be implemented that you might not have, that maybe entrepreneurs might not have thought about, which really just makes the company better run overall. And so, so one way it, it actually, I think helps companies is that just, it provides like a business infrastructure for an entrepreneurial firm they wouldn't have that makes them sort of more sustainable and reliable. And there's evidence of this too. So, you know, there is a, an analysis done of B Corps uh, that went through the, the economic uh, sort of recession in 2008. Uh, and turns out that actually they were more, B Corps compared to similar companies are more likely to survive, more likely to grow over the long term. So this the idea of sort of being a better business. And, you know, it's not just sort of crazy, you know, B Corp enthusiasts that are saying this, you know, you look at Larry Fink, who, who is the CEO of this company, BlackRock, which is the largest private investor in the world. And he writes these annual letters over the last few years saying companies should be more environment, environmentally sustainable, uh, more socially responsible. And one of the things he says is that this is about, you know, developing management quality and long-term risk management. So, so actually going through these this process actually helps the company overall uh, become just a better run business. I'd say, you know, some of the other economic impacts, I think the biggest ones are around employees. So, so many of the businesses I talked to said, you know, they, uh, their retention, employee retention is way higher than their peers. Uh, you know, some industries, you know, where it's 40, 50%, the B Corps is 10%. Uh, uh, attraction of companies, attraction of employees, you know, getting talent is so hard these days, but, you know, B Corps, there's so many people that want to work at B Corps because the company has values and they, um, you know, are, are sort of positive employee cultures. And so I would say, you know, many of the companies I talked to said, you know, when, when people fill in the employment form, and it says, you know, why do you want to work here? You know, over 25% for many companies, people say, because you're a B, a B Corp. So I think, uh, you know, these are the things, the key things, I think that it actually makes 
the business overall run in a much more systematic fashion uh, that leads to long-term sustainability and uh, reliability and resilience of the company. And then secondly, that actually has huge impacts on human resource and, and employment. I see. So big corporations actually do take care of like the environment, the social impact and their employees. But this is also very similar to like corporate social responsibility in the sense, CSR. So how is a, actually a big corporation very different from a company doing CSR? Yeah, I think that's a good, very good question. I think it's a really important difference. Actually, you know, thinking about this question is what got me interested in this idea of studying B Corps when I started. So, so actually, uh, in 2009 um, is where I first, when I first heard of B Corps. And I actually, at the time, I was teaching at Harvard Business School, and I was teaching a class on corporate social responsibility. And what we were studying is large, large companies uh, in, you know, like IBM or Goldman Sachs. And really, these companies were doing amazing corporate social responsibility programs, having huge social impact. Uh, but these are really only sort of side projects for these companies. These are not things that while, you know, big impact and support from the company are not actually integrated into the mission and center of the company. And one day in class, a student said, you know, we should not be studying company CSR because that's always just a side project. We should be studying companies that have social mission at their core, like B corporations. And I think that's really the key difference is that, you know, for CSR, it's more of an add-on and it might be very high impact and good. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not a good thing, but for uh, B corporations, social businesses, it's much more that the social mission, social impact focus is in the core of the, uh, of the company. Uh, so that's sort of where I see the key difference. I see. So does this mean that only businesses with like a social media, social mission at their core are like eligible to becoming a B corporation? Uh, not, yeah, not really actually. So, you know, uh, I think a company can be run in a very socially responsible way. So, you know, um, it's, it's hard to, you know, really... I mean, it's hard to differentiate because, you know, for instance, like, for instance, one, one example is a company in the United States called King Arthur Flower. This is a company that dates back to 1790. They, uh, you know, make flour, sacks of flour. So if you want to bake bread, you go to the grocery store and you buy their sacks of flour. Uh, they were one of the first 17 B corporations. Uh, they are, you know, a company that is socially responsible, but they're not like something where you know, they're trying to solve some social problem in the world, but they're owned by their employees, so an employee-owned company, and really focused on, you know, trying to uh, deliver value to their, to their employees as their main constituents. So, so I think that companies that, that can be managed in a very socially responsible way, uh, and this is also, I think, very different than social CSR, whereas CSR is about, you know, doing a program like with a nonprofit, or in the community, uh, whereas again, sort of the, the B Corp is, is about sort of the central center of the company. See. So uh, for B corporations, like I'm pretty sure it's not easy to become certified as a B Corp. As you see, there's so many like stakes that they have to run, like they have to be aware of their stakeholders, 
they have to be aware of the environment and things like that. So is it very difficult to convince businesses to turn into B corporations or they feel like, or because it's uh, having, they are aware of like the benefits, like they, are, they, have, they have better management in their business strategies and things like that. So businesses are more, uh, rel- more willing to convert into B corporations. Yeah, I think it's changed over time, you know, so, you know, I mentioned this 2009 when my student mentioned it to me and, you know, there were about 300 B Corps uh, at that time, you know, now there's about 3,500. I think it's becoming increasingly easy to convince companies. Um, You know, I think there could be a lot more B Corps, but I think just B Lab, the certification agency uh, is, you know, there's only so many B Corps that can be assessed, you know, because the important thing is to have it very rigorous. Uh, So uh, I think that it's increasingly companies are finding it of value, uh, which is different than it was previously. I think it was a harder sell previously, but it's increasingly uh, more so. And I think that one of the important trends that has occurred is that it's much, uh, much more larger companies that are taking it on. So for instance, Danone, the global, you know, health, nutrition, dairy company, you know, they, you know, $30 billion company, they've committed to becoming a B Corp by 2025. 27 of their subsidiaries, which makes up 45% of their total revenue are already B Corps now. Uh, And, you know, that's an example of something. And, you know, it's one of these things where it's like a self-reinforcing dynamic. So, you know, early on in the movement, when you had you know, very socially responsible, socially committed companies like Patagonia or Ben and Jerry's, uh, all, you know, in the US, you know, these companies, you know, they brought more to the movement as far as sort of brand and recognition and the movement brought to them. And so, you know, they didn't put the logo on their products or, you know, uh, whereas now, you know, Danone is thinking like, okay, you know, this is something where the brand, the B brand actually means something and it's really consistent with our values. So we're, we have sell, we sell billions of, you know, yogurt or milk or whatever. Uh, and all of those have the B on them now. And so the B, B, and, you know, B Corp logo. So, so I think that things like that, it's, you know, one of these things where, you know, the, the trend goes at a, at a relatively shallow slope for a while and then it speeds up. And so I think we're in the process where things are speeding up because of all these dynamics, bigger companies, also younger millennial Gen Z uh, individuals are more looking for, uh, uh, you know, to both buy and work for companies with value, you know, companies that share their values. So I think that's part of it too. So you mentioned that like Gen Zs are like more looking forward right. to buying like products or supporting services that are like sus- sustainable or doing good in a sense. So what do you think yeah. is, is, is that case? Like why are more people supporting such businesses? Yeah, good question. I, I um, the underlying reason I, I don't know, to be honest, <laughs> uh, you know, I just know from my students and from surveys, I mean, there's a lot of evidence from you know, surveys, uh, and I see it in my students, both the fact that way more students take my classes now than took them before. Uh, and when I talk to them, you know, I can tell there's a passion there 
to actually, you know, make this their life work, to, to find a company where they can, you know, do a job that's consistent with their values and way of living. Uh, in some ways, it's almost like, this is a simplistic way to think about it, but, you know, you know, sort of economic development theory almost is that, you know, you, you, people, you need to fulfill sort of basic needs first and, you know, that your parents fulfill those and your grandparents and, and then, you know, you have economic stability and you can sort of start thinking a little bit more about changing the world. So it's because like our parents build up a foundation of like economic stability. Uh, it's part of it, I think. Yeah. Without <laughs> so, that, probably there. Yeah, yeah. So we do have the freedom to choose and pursue what we like now. Right. I see. I see. So you mentioned that earlier on that more and more companies are turning into a B corp. So what do you think uh, is the future of uh, the B corporation movement? I think that one of the things, and we are I already alluded to this, um, is that larger companies, I think, are you know, going to become B Corp. So, you know, one of the critiques of the model is that it's, it's mostly been small and medium-sized companies. So even companies like, you know, Patagonia, Ben & Jerry, Seventh Generation, which is also a U.S.-based um, sort of, sort of a he uh, healthy cleaning care and beauty uh, company. You know, there are a couple hundred million, a couple, you know, billion dollars um, and I should say, you know, a lot of the examples I'm using are the U.S., but the B Corp movement is over half of the companies, well over half of the companies are outside the U.S., you know, from, you know, a lot in Europe, a lot in South America, uh, Australia, decent amounts, uh, less so in Asia. So, you know, not a, not a ton in Singapore, uh, mainland China, not that many, India, very, very, very little, actually. Uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong for their size have a, have a decent amount. Japan and Korea pretty low also. So, uh, so I guess, yeah, so my examples I'm giving are American, but mm -hmm. you know, just give you a sense of the global perspective. Yeah. Uh, so even at a, you know, hundred, a couple hundreds of millions, one billion, that's a, that's for me a tremendously large company, but in the overall scheme of the world, it's actually very small, like Danone, I mentioned, $30 billion. And that's not even a lot, huge company. Uh, so, um, so one of the things that I think is really important if this movement is going to change sort of the economic systems in the world is to actually get large companies on board. And just recently was announced uh, six large global um, uh, companies have committed to become becoming and be part of part of a, a new B, B movement uh, B Corp movement program to sort of have a slower on ramp to the uh, B Corp uh, system. So you know it, you know as you mentioned the assessment is very difficult. And if you think about it, if you're a multinational company, you know you have you know maybe you know 20 legal subsidiaries across you know 15 countries. And actually just the logistics of figuring out how to actually go through the assessment is daunting. Uh, and so, so these six companies are going to be, you know, working together on a program to, you know, slowly uh, become a B Corp. And so I think this new program and, and the fact that these six companies, Danone is one of them, will really you know, they'll provide an example of how large companies can go through this. Uh, and I think that, 
you know, the future of the movement really is going to be larger companies, and particularly in Europe and South America. I think the U.S., while I think a lot of the entrepreneurial firms are from the U.S., I think just the, the, the Wall Street domination, still very short-term oriented, makes it harder for U.S. Uh, companies to do it. Mm, I see. So the future of the cooperation movement will probably be many, many uh, larger companies joining into this movement. So does this actually bring up the economic uh, situation of the world if more B Corps uh, are being formed in the future? Yeah, I think that it, I think it has a hopefully a positive impact. I think that, uh, you know, you think to see through these things like COVID where you know, this huge economic shock to the world. Yeah. I think that if companies are more resilient and more able to take care of their stakeholders, that many of those, the, the shock will be muted in many ways. It won't be as severe as it probably would have been. I see. So going backwards, okay. So you, okay. you shared a bit about like a big corporation and everything. And we actually have interviewed the previous five uh, conversation of change. Uh, we have interviewed like people from a non-profit organization, a social enterprise, a social okay. movement and a co-op. So it's wow. a B, yeah. So it's a B Corp uh, different from all of this or is it in similar in some ways? Yeah, no, I think it's similar. So I have to think about these. I, I wish I, you know, like was in my classroom and could have a board to draw everything because I think we have some complex. So, mm -hmm. so you mentioned nonprofit. So I think that that an important distinction uh, to make is whether the company's legal forms is an important distinction to make. So nonprofit is a legal form mm -hmm. of a company. So you can have for-profit, not-for-profit. A B corporation is a company, so it's a for-profit. Uh, so, so in that way, it's different than a, a non-profit. Non uh, social enterprise, I think, is a more general term. And that is, um, you know, I think that B Corps many times can fit, you know, they, they could be called social enterprises. Many nonprofits can too. Uh, I think that the thing about B Corporation is that it's a certification. So, you know, it's from an external third party independent is actually assessing the company's you know, activities and behaviors and a variety of things. So that's how, you know, so many, you know, there's many businesses that you might be able to consider social enterprises, many nonprofits, maybe they're, uh, you know, sort of organizations that are for social good. Uh, you know, the B Corps are a certain segment of those that are um, uh, certified by this third party. Uh, Co-op, you know, so at least in the United States, I'm not sure about you know Singapore, but you know there's cooperative ownership structures with a variety of different types of owners. So there's employee could be employee owners, could be a community owners, suppliers could own it, and so all, that, that's an you know an ownership type. Uh, and there's many B corps like King Arthur Flower that I mentioned to you is a co-op has a, is a cooperative owned by its employees. There's a very well-known dairy company in the U.S. called um, uh, Cabot, which is a, a supplier-owned co-op, which is owned, which is a B Corp. So, so I think it sort of is, you know, I could draw a variety of different circles, and and you know, there's some overlaps with all these, but you know, it's great that you're, you know, investigating all these different types because I think that 
you know, when we think about ways of solving difficult, intractable social problems, there's not one model that fits. And so, you know, many of your listeners might think, oh, this B Corp thing really doesn't work in my sector because I'm doing this. Or maybe some will say, oh, you know, that's something I hadn't thought about, but maybe it'll work. So I think, yeah, so I think it's good to have a comprehensive view like, you, like you're doing through these podcasts. I see. So speaking about, like, because earlier on, like we mentioned about sustainability in businesses and things right. like that. So does B Corp actually help with business sustainability in terms of like economic, like economic situations? I think definitely, without a doubt. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, this is, I think, at the core, you know, where I was mentioning earlier about sort of better business. I think that, you know, by going through the assessment, it's really about uh, being more sustainable overall as a company. Uh, so, so without a doubt, definitely. I see. Okay, so for the last question before we uh, pass our sure. time on to Pedro. So uh, because our podcast is, uh, we believe that uh, supporting is equally as impactful as doing, especially for our youths who might not have the ability to actually start doing, they are actually okay. like joining the big corporation or anything. So can you share with us, uh, especially to our young change maker, how they can actually support the B Corp movement? Sure, so you know, uh, one of the things I always say, you know, is people are consumers and, you know, they buy products, you know, they could be, you know, anything from buying sort of pencils and pens in the store to clothes to, you know, you know, more expensive jackets. And I think I, I personally always try to buy from uh, a company with a social impact. I think that this is the biggest thing that we as individuals can do is in some ways vote, you know, in the United States right now, you know, there's a lot of discussion about voting. And so I always think about it that, you know, we every day with our money we spend, we make choices. Uh, we vote for the types of companies and products that we want to support. And so I think that what the young people can do is investigate companies and buy from, don't just buy the thing that looks the best. I mean, I'm, you should get things that look good. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but, but buy the things that, that are produced in a sustainable, ethical way. And that last, you know, there's so much nowadays in these sort of fast fashion where, you know, things are made very quickly and they may look good, but they fall apart fast. And, um, and you know, one of the early B Corps, Patagonia, you know, the founder of Patagonia had this uh, saying, you know, uh, that you should consume, um, gosh, I'm forgetting his quote. Uh, so so, so the, the idea is that buy high quality things and then stick with them. You know, I mean, it's don't just buy a lot of inexpensive things. And so I think, you know, consume, you know, it's consumers uh, you're, you're the people, your uh, people that listen, people you work with, can actually make a big difference, and so they should think about that. I think it's actually quite a good point, but I would like to mention that because, like, there are many different options. So, let's like, say I want to have a like I want to buy a 
pack. But like this company provides it at ten dollar, and this company that produces it ethically as is a B Corp, it probably sells at like fifty dollars. So maybe as like use in general, we'll probably right. because our buying power is quite limited. Right. Yeah. So we normally tend to uh uh direct our buying towards the cheaper alternatives rather than the right. long lasting and durable one instead. So is there like a way that we can change this mindset of this youths? Or like, or is it just just promoting more B corps to them? I think yeah, part of it's funny, and part of it I understand. I mean, you know, it's sort of a, if the uh, you know, I you know very much understand that. I mean, if the difference between ten and fifty dollars, that's you know, I I can understand maybe choosing, but hopefully many times it's not that stark of a difference. And I think yeah, things like you know this podcast. Uh, you know, what, what B corporation companies are doing uh, is uh, hopefully, hopefully starting to make a difference. Yes, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> so before we wrap up today's conversation of change, we have another special guest with us, Pedro, the co-founder of our social enterprise, Make the Change. As we have, earlier, we have mentioned earlier, Make the Change was recently certified as a B Corporation. Therefore, apart from a youth standpoint of understanding the B Corp movement, we would like to ask you, Chris, some basic questions based on a corporate perspective as well. So let sure. me pass my time on to Pedro so that he can gain some corporate insights about the B Corp movement. Great. Well, th thank you, Shamin, for the great yeah. questions. Great to talk. And Pedro, thank very you. happy thank to talk you. with you too. Uh, thank you, Chris, and thank you for joining our conversation on change. So we have um, uh, one question, especially now that is happening in the pandemic. So many yes. enterprises and many B Corps are facing challenges. Um, you think that there's going to be any, uh, any troubles for the B Corp movement or the social good movement with the, all of these? I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, it's, you know, the world is stretched in a really tough way. I mean, so... You know, I think that uh, I think all businesses are having a hard time. In, I mean, except for like sort of these high tech companies that seem to be doing that are doing they're doing very well, I guess. Uh, but I mean, I think the majority of businesses that are in sort of the real economy are struggling. And I think it's it's my sense though is that the B corporations, uh, because they are more conscious of how they interrelate with other stakeholders and are sort of built to last are better positioned to make it through the pandemic. Like I mentioned, you know, there was the study of B Corps that went through the 2008 financial crisis in the United States mm -hmm. and found that, that actually the B Corps survived at a much higher rate than other companies and then ended up having much long, much higher growth sort of later on. So I so I, and I've talked to a lot of B Corps, mostly in the US, but some in you know, Europe and South America, and they're having a hard time, but I feel that, you know, because they're, they're you know, because they're so much more embedded in their communities mm -hmm. that, you know, perhaps they're getting more social support, more economic support from their companies, you know, their communities, like one company, uh, that I, I've talked to a couple of times is called Rhino Foods. They're based out of Burlington, Vermont, the United States in the Northeastern part of the United States. And they, uh, they make uh, uh, dessert products and have been operating through COVID, had a variety of different programs for their employees where 
you know, employees get meals, you know, if, you know, if they, you know, they'd still get paid if they didn't feel like they could make it in because they, you know, worried about COVID or the social distancing. They also started a program where they wanted to support the community too. So they started this meals program for their employees where, you know, they would actually be buying uh, meals from community restaurants to, to, to help distribute uh, to their employees in a way that actually, because they want to make sure that all their stakeholders are well taken care of. And this is something where it sounds like it's more expensive for the, for the company, and I guess mm -hmm. it is. But, you know, then those community people, I'm, I'm sure also are buying the products and helping support this, you know, company. So I feel that, you know, my experience with the B corporations is that they're more embedded with the different stakeholders in their, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in their environment. And that leads to a variety of, of benefits and reciprocity that hopefully will get everyone to get them through, through this in a more effective way. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very interesting, especially we see it also here in Singapore. That no, all the, um, the other B Corps, we're trying to co co collaborate with others and support each other. So that's right. something that we, we're trying to do. Right. Uh, another interesting question that I have is because uh, you've been teaching uh, social entrepreneurship and business, business school. You think B Corp or social innovation, social entrepreneurship should be uh, mandatory for all business school students? Yeah, that's a good question. Um... Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think that... Uh... I mean, there's certain topics in this general area that I think should be mandatory, like, for instance, like ethics, I think should be mandatory. There should be mandatory ethics classes, maybe some like a choice of, you know, a suite of things like an environmental sustainability class, social responsibility, social entrepreneurship. You know, the issue I find with if, if for something like this, if you make it mandatory, then there's a lot of people that actually are annoyed about being in the class. I mean, I mm. actually, so I teach, uh, so at Cornell, I teach in two different programs. One is uh, the main MBA program, which is in our Ithaca campus. And then I also teach in a, uh, an MBA program in New York City. Uh, it's called the New York Tech Camp, or Cornell Tech Campus. Uh, and, and when this Cornell Tech Campus started, actually, they had this social entrepreneurship class that I taught as a required class. And, you know, many students didn't, you know, didn't like it, didn't want to be there. Uh, and so I found though that, so I taught it like that for two years and then I, I had it switched to be an elective. And you know what, I mean, you know, probably, you know, 60% of the students end up taking it anyways. And I think it ends up being a much more high impact class because everyone is really sort of enthusiastic about it being in it. So. You know, it's uh, it's a hard thing to say. You know, maybe those other people should be exposed to these ideas. I think, mm. you know, uh, and I think there's some things like ethics that probably you just have to force the students to. But you know, and I guess because this is a topic that millennials are interested in, students are interested nowadays, and there does seem to be a lot of people taking the classes. That I, I would think that just keeping as an elective for now would probably be mm. best. Mm. In Singapore, they started this diploma in social entrepreneurship. So Shremian started uh, social yeah, entrepreneurship. That's great. So I think I think I think that that's good kind of thing is great. So you have like I, I Cambridge, I think has like a master's in social social entrepreneurship. 
Peking University where I've talked to people as a master's in social enterprise management. So I, I do think actually those type of programs, having those programs is hugely important because you know you have so many people that actually wanna learn and improve in this area and it'll be really helpful to sort of really push the sector ahead. But in a generalist MBA program, if you try to require something like this, you know, mm. maybe it will backfire. Mm. That's true. And I think for the last question that we have for today is sure. how do you see the B Corp movement in 10 years time? Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, 10 years is a long time away. You know, it's sort of funny because I started studying this about 10 years ago, you know, 2009, 2010, I wrote the first uh, you know, uh, case study on, on B-Lab. And it's amazing, you know, it, it went from 300 B Corps to now 3,500 plus, you know, there's all these, I mean, I see that I like the thesis of my book and where I see the bigger impact of the B Corp movement is that there are all these tools and processes that any company can use. So, you know, how, how far things have come in the last 10 years makes it very hard to speculate about 10 years out. But, you know, since you asked the question, I mean, I think that, I think there'll be a, I think that a, a substantial portion of large companies will be engaging with this movement. I mean, I think that, that there is this increasing interest in companies being stakeholder driven, but no one knows what actually that is. And this provides in some ways like a cookbook almost to be stakeholder driven. Uh, I think that um, people, that consumers will understand the logo and look for it. I think this is something that, you know, there's all kinds of surveys that people, particularly millennials wanna buy from companies that have a social mission and are good, good for the world, but it's actually hard to know what those companies actually are. And so having the B logo is sort of one way to, to know what one of those companies are. So, so I think it's, uh, I think spread to larger companies, uh, spreading in the public market. So a lot, many, many B corporations public uh, and, you know, consumer awareness, you know, very high because these, um, the B will be on more products. Mm, that's true. So thank you very much for your time. And also um, we invite all our readers to, to check out your book. I know it's available in Amazon and especially I, I only read on uh, ebook so you can get it in your yeah. Kindle and then it's easier to, to read. And because I'm not sure right. if uh, it's available in, in Singapore, you can buy the actual book, but if not, I think uh, on uh, e-version is, is available. Yeah, so definitely the e-version is available. And I think, uh, and I don't know about Singapore, but I know that there's, I recently sold the rights in mainland China. So, that, so for the people in Singapore that read uh, Chinese, there'll be a Chinese version as well. Mm. Yeah. So hopefully you, when borders open again, if you come to visit to Singapore, it will be lovely to meet you in person. I would, I would love to do that. I, I visit, uh, in the past, I've visited Singapore probably four or five times in the past, and I, I would really like to come back again. Mm. Okay, so Shermi, you can do that, your closing. <laughs> okay, so we have come to the end of Conversation of Change. Thank you, Chris, for your time once again. We have learned so much more about the B Corp movement and have definitely gained professional insights, which are very informational, not only for ourselves but for our viewers as well so uh, thank you for our viewers thank you so much and thank you for tuning in and we hope to see you in our next one so bye-bye great thank thank bye -bye. you both great okay. to meet thank okay bye-bye